really my privilege this morning to introduce David Garlock to you and his wife Jane. And uh, Jane is carrying Guy Joshua, who was born in December. So congratulations to uh, David and Jane. David will probably tell this story, so I'm going to beat him to it. I got an email a couple of years ago as a college, at the college and saying uh, from this guy named David Garlock, it looked like a mass email and said, I'd like to come to your class and speak. This is my history. I have a felony. This is what I did. And my thought was, David, you're a sensationalist trying to make an extra buck. And what I've been preaching on, David, over the last several weeks is on tearing down the walls, right? Ephesians 2 and 3, Paul says, but Christ came to tear down the walls, the barriers between us, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and, slave and free, and we could add to that felon and non-felon, right? Black and white. That, that God has come to destroy in Christ the dividing walls of hostility. And um, I don't know how it happened. I can't remember. Last summer, I got involved with the Lancaster County Reentry Coalition. Uh, that helps with re-entry of citizens returning into their communities from incarceration. And I met David. And my heart melted when I met David, and I recognized how wrong I had been. That within me, there are also walls that I have built that God just wants to tear down, that are dividing walls that I carry within myself. And so when I preach about that, I confess it's my journey too. It's my story too. And so over the last year or two, David and I have gotten to know each other a bit. David has been to a couple of my classes. Um, we've known each other through the LCRC, and David has a profound story. One of the things that most touched me was when he was with my students, he just told his story of following Jesus, of coming to Jesus, following Jesus. He told his story for my students in my class, and it was, had a profound effect on my students. And every time after David's finished, and I have a little conversation with my students, they talk about how the walls for them have come down, David. The walls that they imagined. I had one student said, I didn't really want to come to class when I knew David was going to be there. And then she, after David left, she said, wow, I, I just, I didn't get it. And so in our world, we have created these dividing walls um, between one another and between groups of people. And we're all the same at the foot of Jesus, at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And so it is a delight for you to come, David, not only to share your story, but as evidence that Christ has broken down the dividing walls. That as a church, there is no division between those who've been incarcerated and and we are all the same in Christ. And so please come forward, brother. I love you. I thank God for you and your story. David has worked for New Person Ministries, um, who we've been involved in as a congregation. He is now with, uh, he is now an advocate he, and at many levels in the state of Pennsylvania and uh, more than that across the country. David appeared in the film Just Mercy with Brian Stevenson, which some of you may have seen. He appeared as himself in Just Mercy. So if you haven't seen that film, you want to look, you want to get the film and watch it. It's a powerful film with Brian Stevenson and the work he's done. And so, David, I'm just going to pray for you and bless you, and we're so glad you're here. And thank you for forgiving me for my dividing walls. We're, we're all right, right? Yeah. In Christ, all right. God, we just commit our brother to you, and we thank you for him. We thank you that he is serving you, that he, his story is one of redemption and of your love and faithfulness. But I also thank you for how David has made choices that he has made choices to tear down walls of bitterness, that he's made choices to allow your Holy Spirit to be at work in his life, that this is a story who is a man who has received your grace and who has stewarded that grace well. And so we just pray your blessing and anointing upon him. Thank you for his grace towards me. Thank you for your grace towards all of us. And so we just pray your blessing on him now. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what do we do? We just pray and then we leave after that? I mean...
so, what I wanted to talk about today is Psalms 40, verses 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings, and he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. So the, the name of this message is My Help and My Deliverer. Now, what we have to realize is that what goes before that is God is my help and my deliverer. Before I got arrested, I thought I was my own help and my own deliverer. My brother and I, we were sexually and physically abused for eight years. We felt the only way out of this situation was to take the abuser's life. And so I was thinking that, okay, I'm going to be my help. I'm going to deliver myself from this situation. Let me tell you that I did deliver myself from that situation, but that situation didn't get better. I went from one prison of the sexual abuse and the physical abuse and the, the emotional abuse into another prison. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about five different things that we see in this passage. Now, this passage, I, I was looking, I was like, okay, is there a particular pit or place David was when he wrote this song? But it wasn't. It's a word picture that he wants us to see. So in this word picture, we see five things. We see a pit. We see prayer. We see patience. We see provision. And then we see praise. So when the, the first thing is this pit. That horrible pit actually means a tumultuous, tumultuous whole prisoner sister. So to give us a good understanding of what type of place David was talking about was think about Jeremiah. When Jeremiah was put in prison, it wasn't just a prison where it was a cell. He was actually lowered into this dungeon where he couldn't get out himself. He had to rely on people to bring food to him. It wasn't just they'd come up and hand him food. They had to drop, drop the food to him because of where he was. There was no way that he could have escaped from this place on himself because he, was, he had to be lowered in. So David wasn't actually in a physical prison. David is talking about the prison of sin. How many of us have been in that pit where we have committed sin and we've been to the lowest of the low of low? You know, we feel that we can never get out of this place. It's kind of like the prodigal son. The prodigal son was in that pit. There was no one who could deliver him. He was there feeding pigs, which was contrary to the Jewish law. And he was in this, the lowest of the low of the low. And that's what David's talking about. You know, he's talking about when we get to rock bottom. And when we get to rock bottom, what do we do? I hit rock bottom when I was 20 years old. I was arrested for the murder charge in Alabama. I was arrested, and I'm thinking I'm going to get the death penalty. I'm thinking I'm going to get life without parole because this is in Alabama. 
Down south, they are real big about the death penalty. They're real big about an eye for an eye. For an eye. So I was thinking that I was going to end up dead. When my life was supposed to be beginning, it was ending. But do you know what happened when I was in that pit, when I was in that place where I could not deliver myself? November 1st, 1999, a detective, let me say that again, a detective took me from the county jail to the city jail for questioning. After I was interrogated for seven hours, I finally confessed to the crime. On the way back to the city, uh, to the county jail, I'm asking the detective, am I going to get the death penalty? Am I going to get life without parole? He turns to me and he's like, do you believe in God? I'm thinking, uh, I'm going to have a lot of time to focus on God, but what's going to happen to me? But he was persistent. He kept asking me, do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Finally, I said, yes, I believe in God. He's like, you need to seek him now. So when I got back to the county jail, I asked for a Bible. They gave me a little New Testament Bible. I grew up in the church, so I knew what to say, how to say it. So I went to Revelations. I got to Revelations 3.20 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and allows me to come in, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And it was then I did this second thing that's necessary for us to get out of that pit. I prayed. In this verse, it talks about that David cried out to God. That's what we have to do. When we find ourselves in the pit that we created for ourselves because of sin, we can't stay there. Jesus died on the cross to allow us to have victory from that prison, to have victory from that place of sin where all we have to do is cry out to God. So David can write about this because of the times that he had stumbled and fallen and committed sin, the time that he ended up in this pit. All we have to do is read Psalms 51 and 32, where it talks about Bathsheba and the sin that he committed there, you know? And so David knows what it takes to get out of this pit. David knows that he has to cry out to God. But how many of us stay in that pit? How many of us become calloused by that sin and, and we really don't understand that we're in prison? Now, there's a lot of people in prison who are content with prison. They are like, okay, I'm here. Let me, let me just enjoy, for a better word, what prison life is about. But what they do is they're cut off from everything. They become conditioned to say, this is who I am. I am a prisoner. This is my life. That's what happens when we become content with sin. We say, okay, this isn't that bad. I mean, I'm okay. You know, I, I'm alive. I'm breathing. But is that really where God wants us to be? Does God want us to stay in that pit? Or does he want us to cry out to him and know that he's going to hear us and that he's going to deliver us? So in that pit, you know, 
he also knew that when he cried out to God, that God would hear him. But that third thing is patience. You know, this is where he's expecting, you know, he's looking, he's tearing after God. He knows that he's cried out to God. So David had that experience of going through that mess, crying out to God. When he was waiting for God to heal his son after he committed sin with Bathsheba, he prayed and inquired of God for seven days. He fasted and he was praying that God would heal the baby. Now, God didn't heal that baby and the baby died. But God said that, David said, I will see him again. So there was a deliverance for that baby and David knew that he had to get up. He had to step on, he had to move on. He could not stay in that pit anymore. So David was able to get up. How many people in the Bible have had to wait on God? Let's look at Moses. He waited in the, in the desert for 40 years before he was brought back to do what God called him to do. Joseph had a dream when he was 17 years old of being above his parents and in this leadership role. But that didn't come to pass for 13 years. And when we look at that even closer, David is another example of somebody that experienced a pit, but he also experienced prison. So he got the, the double portion of what we're talking about here. He just not only got the prison. And when he was in prison, he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer and the baker. The baker was, uh, he was crucified, his life was taken, but then the cupbearer was restored to his position. And the cupbearer said, okay, when I get back to my position, I'm gonna tell the Pharaoh about you and you're gonna be restored to your position. You're gonna be brought out of prison. Did that happen right then? So he's waiting one day, he's like waiting, he's like, okay, why isn't this guard coming to let me up out of here? Where? The second day, he's like, okay, where is this guard? I'm ready to go. Third day, fourth day, week, month, two years later, he was finally delivered. But what did David do in that two years? I mean, what did Joseph do in that two years? He continued doing what he had done every day. The things that allowed him to find favor with the jailer. And that's what we have to realize is that when we're waiting for God, we have to continue to seek him, to serve him, and know that it's about his timing and that God's going to open that door when it's right. You know, A lot of people think that if you have to wait for God to open a door, that that answer is no. But it's not. It's that point where we just wait. We know that God is able. He's capable. I mean, the song we just sang, I mean, was a perfect song for me to talk about this. God is our way maker. He's our miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He's a light in the darkness. How dark do you think Jeremiah experienced that prison where he had to be lowered into this? There's no light in there. So it's dark. But his faith in God gave him that light, gave him that ability to know that, okay, 
it's going to be okay. I know that God is working and he's in my favor. So the, the fourth thing we come to is the provision. So here we are. We went from the pit. We went from this prison. We went from, David was telling us that we have to pray. After we pray, we have to be patient. We have to wait. I mean, we all know the saying, good things come to those who wait, right? It's the same thing with waiting on God, you know. And it's not just good things that God has for us. It's great things. It's uh, this abundance. It's favor. It's blessings that he's ready to pour out into our lives. And that's what this fourth point talks about. It talks about provision. So he's picked up. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. So one thing I always thought about was you're in this pit that is miry, it's mucky, there's all this mud and this dirt and everything else in there. And that's really, when we sin, what are we? We're covered in sin. We become a slave to sin. We are known by what people see. They see the sin. They see the mud. They see how dirty we are. So when David talks about this person being picked up out of their miry clay in this horrible pit and set up on a rock, do you think just being picked up out of the rock was the only thing that was done? Who would want to pick somebody up that's covered in mud and put them in a place where everybody can see them. So what we have to realize is that the provision is God reaching down, picking somebody up out of the pit. But there's also that cleansing that takes place. And that provision of God reaching down and bringing out of the pit. He's the only person that could do it. I mean, how many people have seen the TV show Prison Break or heard of Prison Break? Do you think you could break do you think Jeremiah could have broken out of his prison? He probably tried many times. He probably tried to get up maybe a, a foot or two and then he slipped back down. So we realize that God is the only one that can deliver us from this pit. But then we think about the cleansing and the restoration. And a perfect example of this is seen in the prodigal son. So the prodigal son was in this pit. He was feeding pigs. He came to his senses and said, okay, if I go back to my father and tell him I want to be his slave or his servant, he'll accept me, he'll receive me. But what was the father doing? The father was on the porch waiting. The same thing God does, you know, he waits, he's inclining to our prayers and to our petitions and us crying out. But what did the father give the son when the son returned? The first thing was he gave him a robe. So when the prodigal son was in that muck, in that mire, he got covered with the mud. He got covered with sin. He had become a slave to sin. But when he came back, the father gave him that, that robe. So when he put this robe on, what was seen? 
the road. You couldn't see the mud. You couldn't see anything that he had been involved with or where he was before he came back to his father. It talks about in the New Testament that we're clothed with Christ's righteousness. And that's what happens when he brings us out of this miry pit. He clothes us, clothes us with his righteousness. We are, made white as, we are made white as snow. He cleanses us, you know. And that's where we have to say that, okay, that's the second part of the provision. But then the third part is that we're set on the solid rock. We know that Jesus is our solid rock. So we're taken out of the pit after we've prayed, after we've been patient. We're cleansed. And now we're set in this place of strength. In Matthew 7, 24 and 25, it talks about the person that builds their house on the rock. When the storms come and when the winds come, that house is able to stand. So when we fell into sin, it was because our foundation wasn't as sure as it needed to be. So we need to allow God to pick us up, to cleanse us up, to cleanse us off, and to set us on that firm foundation. And, and Christ is that firm foundation. We know that when we're there, we're going to be able to withstand anything. I'm, I'm always amazed at palm trees. Now, a palm tree, you would think, if it went through a hurricane or a storm or anything, it's going to be blown over and it's not going to survive. But that palm tree bent all the way down. And you're like, okay, it's, it's over with. It's not going to last anymore. It's going to die. But then it bounces right back up. And in that storm, in that affliction, in that wind, that palm tree becomes stronger. And that's what we do, you know, when we fall in that pit and God lifts us up. Our faith is increased. In Proverbs, it says that a righteous man falleth seven times but gets up, but the ungodly falleth into damnation. So what we understand and we realize is that God is there to pick us up. If we find ourselves in that pit, all we have to do is cry out to God. We have to patiently know that he's going to deliver us and that he's going to cleanse us. But once we get from the pit, once we pray, once we're patient, once we have that provision, now comes a part I really love. It's the praise. So just remember what I told you as far as the, the salvation experience. You know, I'm in this six by nine cell. I had just surrendered my life to God. Do you know what I began to doing? I began to praise God. Here I am singing all these songs that I sang in, in, in youth group. Who remembers the song Step by Step? Um, Our God's an awesome God. These are the songs that I, I'm, I'm singing. I'm walking in my cell, just praising God, worshiping. I'm having my own little worship time here. And in, in the, the, the Message Bible, says talks about verse three he's it says he taught me how to sing the latest god song a praise song to our god that's what i was doing i was having my own praise time and worship time in this place that 
you shouldn't be praising, you shouldn't be worshiping because of where I was. But God allowed me to have this amazing opportunity just to worship God, to praise God, and to have this experience with God right there. And it was, it was incredible. You know, David wrote 150 praise songs to God. Actually, he, he didn't write all of them. There were some other. But the psalms are all praise songs to God. These psalms were not all when they were victorious. Psalms 51, 32, other psalms are psalms where David's crying out to God because he was in a place where he needed God. He knew that the only way that he could make it through is with God's help. So... There's a little joke I'm going to tell right now that, that goes along with this phrase. So you got two people. The first person tells the second person, hey, you're a pretty good singer. You need to sing a solo. The second person like, okay, wow, thank you. I really appreciate that. First person's like, no, solo, no one can hear you. And that's, that's what I was told when I was a kid because I could not sing. I mean, I... Uh, that's not my gift. You know, I, I can do a lot of things in life, but singing is not one of them. So I got permission from, from my wife, Jane, to tell this story. So the biggest argument we've ever had wasn't about money, wasn't about work, wasn't about anything you would typically think. It was about praising in church. Not, not just praising in church. My praising in church. So I, I'm just this, like, I'm 100% extroverted, so I'm really, like, out there, passionate, everything. And I love to praise. I, I'm just loud, boisterous, and I just love to praise God. So one day we come home from church, and Jane's like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of you. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, you're singing. I cannot praise God. I cannot worship God standing next to you because you're so loud and you're off tune. You don't get the words right. You this and that. And I was like, I was like, okay, thank you. Why are we having this argument? And so we're going back and forth. She's like, she's like, you, you, you need to like tone it down. You can't. I'm like, okay, I'll just go in the back of the church and sing back there however loud I want to do. She's like, that's going to be, like, very obvious. People are going to, like, why are you back there? And so I'm trying to come up with all these different solutions. And it comes back to where Jane's like, no, the solution is bring it down. You don't have to worship so loud. You don't have to... Be boisterous and just like sing just like everybody else. So I gave in and I told her that I was going to try it. <laughs> Keyword, I was going to try it. But it, it, I've been able to do it, you know, because I know the importance of praise. I know the importance of worship. And Jane telling me that I was allowing it where she couldn't praise, where she couldn't worship, that hurt me. 
I mean, I was trying to do anything I could where I could still praise like I wanted to, but I knew that for both of us to be in the place God wanted us to be, that she actually had to experience that praise. She actually had to experience that worship too. And I didn't want to take that from her. And so that's where we were able to decide that I was going to not sing loud. And it, it's been great. We haven't had that argument again. Thank the Lord. And uh, I'm hoping we're not. And I just have to teach Guy Joshua to sing quiet too. Unless he's able to sing like she does. So, But to close, I wanted to read some different psalms that David wrote. This isn't the whole psalms. These are just part of the psalms, you know. And just listen to these words. Listen to the words that David uses and that he talks about about what God had done in his life. Psalm 51, 10 through 13 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now something else to, to look at too is verse 13. He talks about, then I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall can be converted unto thee. When we go back to Psalms 40, the end of verse 3, it says, Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. So, our praise, people are watching. People know what you're going through. There were times uh, while I was incarcerated uh, from 2008 to 2010. My grandma passed away, my dad passed away, and then my sister passed away. So it was three years I had three losses in my family. Each day, each night, I was at the chapel service. I wasn't moping around. Could I have easily moped around and felt sorry for myself and said, oh, poor me? Yes. But I have assurance that I'm going to see them again because they were all saved. So what I did was instead of moping around, I went and I praised God. People were able to see that I wasn't going to allow that situation to cause me not to praise God, to take a night off from church. But them seeing that, it encouraged them. They were able to see, okay, this man, even though he's experiencing this tremendous loss, is here praising God, is worshiping God. And that's the thing, you know. We, we are able to praise our way through situations. At times, praise is what we need. When we're in those situations, you know, I, I love praise music. I love listening to K-Love or Word FM and just jamming to Christian music. That's all I listen to now. People ask me, what type of music you listen to? I'm like, Christian. They're like, okay, anything else? I'm like, Christian. They're like, anything else? Christian. And 
But that's the thing, you know, it's about praise. It's about what you're putting in, you know, and that's what allows you to get through those situations, get through those pits. So Psalm 32, verse 5 through 7, it says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and have I not hid. I said, I will trust, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. So in this one, he's talking about that God's our hiding place. Whatever we're going through, we're able to come to God and we're able to say, okay, protect me. Allow your arms to, to wrap around me and allow me to experience that peace. Allow me to experience that connection with you and knowing that you're there, that I don't have to do anything alone. For so long, I experienced life alone. Uh, I couldn't really be me. I couldn't, I didn't know who I was. But with God, I know who I am today. And I'm able to experience that love. I'm able to experience that place with God because of who he is and me knowing who he is and that he is my help. Psalm 25, 6 through 7 says, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou for me thy goodness sake, O Lord. And the final one is Psalms 27, 5 through 10. It says, For in the time of trouble he should hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And in all of these psalms, you know, David was talking about God being his help and his deliverer. And I'm just hoping that the words I spoke today just resonate with you and you're able to see how God delivered you when you were in those pits, how you were able to pray, how God heard your prayer and when you were patiently waiting that he provided that provision. So what we do now is we praise. Along with that praise is Revelations 12, 11 says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Another way we praise is we share our testimony. We share what God has done in our life. 
I mean, as Conrad was saying, I'm, I'm able to do a lot of public speaking. And in that, I'm able to go to secular universities and I talk about God. I talk about, I tell them, I walk them through the way that the detective led me to the Lord. If you asked me three and a half years ago when I began doing public speaking that I'd have this open door to share whatever I wanted and however much about my faith and my testimony, I would have been like, wait, at a Christian college? Okay, yeah. But these are secular universities where I have found favor and I'm able to just praise God through my story, through my testimony, through what God has been able to do. So I, I just want you guys to leave up out of here and, and just know that your praise comes from the pit that you've been delivered from. And we have to rem remind ourselves that of where we've been, what God has delivered us from, where he's taken us. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says, God is a God of all comforts and tender mercies, and he comforts us so we can comfort others. And that's what we have to do. We have to comfort others. I'm here today sharing my story to comfort you, to encourage you, to, to give you that ability to, to remember, wow, this is the pits I have come through. I might not have experienced different things as somebody else, but these are the pits. This is where I am. And our stories, we're, we're never to compare our stories to anybody else. When I was at Eastern University, which is a Christian college, I had some people tell me, they're like, wow, David, you have this amazing, incredible, awesome testimony. I was like, okay, yes, I do. I have a testimony about God's grace, you know, about the way that he'll pick you up out of that actual prison and deliver you. But I told them, I'm like, your testimony is as powerful as mine. And they just looked at me, they're staring at me, and they're like, uh, I grew up in the church my whole life and I've never done anything bad. I'm like, exactly. Your testimony goes along 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where it says that God will give us an escape for every temptation and that he won't put anything upon us that we can't bear. And I'm like, you can reach people I can't reach. So that's the thing we have to realize. We can't judge ourselves to somebody else. You know, we all have different experiences in life, and there's different people that we reach in life, you know? That's why we're one body but many members. And so I'm just hoping and praying there's something that I said today you're able to take out of here. As Conrad said, uh, when we get ready to go into Sunday school, my lovely wife will be up here, and we'll just do a question and answer and opportunity there. And so, okay, here comes Conrad. Again, thank you for having both Jane and me here. We've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, David, so much. One of the things that always impresses me when David tells a story is the incredible resilience that he has shown in his life and the way that he has leaned upon God. And um, I love the challenge, David, that we all find ourselves, some of us today, in some kind of pit. Um, and the question for us is, are we going to look up to God as you did, as you are, as you do, um, or down at ourselves? And so thank you for that ongoing challenge for us uh, this morning. In a moment, Josh Gish is going, who's our, Josh and Janelle are ministers of discipleship. They're going to transition us for the Sunday school hour and tell us what we're doing. 
Um, but again, I just want to thank David and Jane for being here and offer a word. And then um, I think there's a response song, Nikki. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word this morning. Thank you for the truth that you are always with us in those pits that we are in. But that your desire is always to minister to us, to come in when, we, when you knock, which you're always knocking, for us to open the door to you and for you to offer us life and for you to renew us and restore us. And so I just pray for each one of us this morning that might be in some place that we would identify as a pit, some place that we feel stuck, some place that we feel like our hearts are in despair about something, some place that we've been unable to change of ourselves, that even in this moment this morning, we would say to you, dear Jesus, we, we give up trying to get out of this pit ourselves, or we give up trying to stay in this pit, and we just surrender ourselves to you this morning. I'm just going to give you a moment to whatever place you find yourself this morning, where you feel stuck, where the Spirit of God has revealed to you that, you're, that you are imprisoned, that you're enslaved, whether in its addiction, whether it's bitterness, whether it's um, financial issues that you keep running up against, whether it's uh, sexual addiction, whatever it is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a relationship with a spouse, all of us, are in some place this morning where we need the grace of God to lift us out. And so just take a moment to meet with the Lord and just invite him to enable you to respond to his call for healing and restoration and life. God, you are our shield. We get tired of being the shield. We get tired of trying and working. But as David reminded us this morning, you are our rescuer. You are our deliverer. And we look to you for that for every area of our lives. Thank you for this challenge this morning. And we bless your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Nikki, Kate.
Thanks, David, for what you had to share this morning, and thanks, Katie and Nikki, for the powerful time.
time of worship, too. Um, and thank you all of you for being so flexible. I know, um, you know, we had to make some quick decisions and shift things around this morning, so thanks for uh, being willing to work, work with us on that. Um, so we're going to shift to the time of discussion now. Um, we'll, we'll give maybe five or ten minutes to sort of shift gears, um, and then we'll have a uh, discussion time with David. Um, this, because of the nature of, of things, um, it may not be appropriate for uh, children to be here. Um, and so, uh, so the, the youth and adults, uh, I think, are we're, we're asking to stay. And then um, uh, for the children, we don't have anything planned for today. Um, but uh, uh, I think Janelle's going to take our kids outside and, and, um, and have them play outside. Uh, we will be um, transitioning to this format of service uh, for the next several weeks, um, where we have the worship service followed by uh, a time for the children. Um, and uh, I would just put out a uh, request that if you are interested in helping out with that uh, time, uh, to be in contact with Bethany Miller. Um, it will look a little different than it did prior to COVID, uh, but, um, but it is an important time, and, and it's, it's a time that we, uh, that we have to, to uh, disciple the kids in our, in our congregation. So, um, so if, you do, uh, if you are interested in, in helping out with that, uh, be in touch with Bethany. Um, let's pray to close the service, and then we'll transition to the, uh, to the uh, question and answer time. Lord, uh, thank you for, um, for your spirit that was here so powerfully this morning. And thank you that um, your spirit is always in the business of restoring and uh, rescuing from the pit. And um, thank you that, that you have not given up on any of us, that um, despite the fact that all of us have been in pits of one kind or another uh, throughout our life, that, that you have been there to rescue us and to save us. And um, thank you for, uh, for your spirit, your spirit's guidance um, here in our, in our service this morning. And uh, I just ask that I would continue uh, throughout the morning. In your name, amen.
I don't know how that happened. I guess it was just by chance that it fell when I was standing there. Yeah, it's, as you can see, it's taped. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we met very randomly. <laughs> um, we were both out on medical leave um, at the time, he from school and I from work. Um, and so our time kind of overlapped by like, I don't know, a week and a half or something. So we saw each other at the same doctor's office like every day. <laughs> and um, we sort of knew each other's whole life story by the time we um, started dating. So um, I like to say we knew all the junk about each other <laughs> before we started dating. Um, so it could only go up from there. But um, we both, you know, could see that each other was very focused on where God was taking them and um, making an impact um, for the kingdom. Um, and that was really that idea of partnership, of serving together, of uh, following the Lord together um, was has always been at, at the core of our relationship. And, and to go along with that is that uh, when we met, both of us knew that it was it. So we met April 17th, 2015. We started dating May 17th, 2015. We got engaged July 25th, 2015, and married August 15th, 2015. So it was like a three-month period from our first date to saying I do, and we just celebrated five years, and it's been, it's been a journey. We've had ups and downs, but it, it's probably the best five years of my life, and I look forward to many more years with her. And as she said, I mean, it's important to, to do life together, but to serve together. You know, there's a lot of marriages, you know, where one person's serving or one person sitting at home. But what's amazing is we get to serve together every week in the church that we go to. Somebody else. Uh, I, I, I never did. I mean, the, the only time I really didn't have hope was that first weekend when I was incarcerated. But, I mean, there were times when it got rough, but I just kept pressing on because that, that faith in God, you know, just the way that God orchestrated everything. Use, I mean, when I told people that God used a detective to get me to seek him, they're like, wait, what? A detective actually told you about God and encouraged you to seek him. But, I mean, it was just the thing that whatever came my way, I knew that I had to press on. Because it, it's really knowing that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. And just taking that and just holding on to it. Uh, one of the verses that I found in the county jail was Ecclesiastes 4.14. And it says, For out of prison he cometh to reign. Whereas he who was born in his king, kingdom becometh poor. And I just internalized that, you know, and I knew that 
whatever was going to happen, I was going to get out of prison and I was going to be serving God. And the way I look at that reigning with God isn't about being like as a king or something like that. It's being in service to God and walking with God on a daily basis. So you can see that David has the gift of encouraging. <laughs> and um, that's been such a huge blessing for me. It was one of the reasons why I, I knew um, that I wanted to, to marry him. Um, and I felt like God was calling me to be obedient um, in doing that. And it's been such a huge blessing and a growth opportunity for me because I tend to be... Uh, very rational and as our pastor says i like i try to do the math on my miracle and um having him be that constant word of what god says what god's truth the faith that god wants us to show um has pushed me so much further um, than i could have ever gone on my own so i have appreciated learning that so much from him Yeah, I mean, so I, I served my time in Alabama, and so prisons in Alabama are a lot different than prisons in PA, where prisons in PA, you have a lot more cells and smaller blocks. Down in Alabama, a lot of the prisons have dorms, so you have 136 people living in a space about this size. Just think about that, you know. But yeah, it was an awesome opportunity. I mean, we, we had chapel services every night, so I was able to talk to people. But another thing, another avenue that I used to, to share my faith was sports. Because uh, in Alabama, you know, playing sports, you know, you have a wonderful opportunity, you know, because you'd have a lot of people that would play dirty and foul you hard or do this and that. And so typically people would respond by retaliating, fouling that person hard. But when they didn't see that I fouled them the same way, they'd always be like, why didn't you foul me at that opportunity? But I was able to, to share my faith, to talk about grace, to talk about like, okay, yes, he did me wrong, but that doesn't mean that I have to do the same thing. And um, at one of the prisons I was at, so the last three years I served, I actually did hospice work. So I was able to work with these men that were dying and they were able to have family members come in like three days a week, but they didn't have somebody there. So. I was their surrogate family, and I was there just loving on them and encouraging them. And there was this one guy, his name was Mr. Greathouse. He was probably 80 pounds away, 65 years old, no teeth, had dentures, but never wore them. And he was in this, this cell. There was a window right here, and anytime I'd walk by and he'd like see my forehead, he'd get this big old toothless grin. And that's why I did it, because I knew that I was imparting that love. I was encouraging him in his last days. How long did you serve and what was your brother's path? Um, I served 13 and a half years uh, of the 25 year sentence. I've been on parole for about seven and a half years. I have uh, today is the 27th. So I have uh, four years, one month left on parole. Uh, my brother is doing well. He's actually out. He's down in Louisiana. Uh, he was just able to have, uh, he had a baby girl about a year ago. Um, 
and for the most part, I mean, he's doing good. He's been at the same uh, uh, job. So he has a passion to do that, you know. And so, I mean, he's doing well, you know, and he's just pressing on. Um, as of right now, no. I mean, there's been some times throughout the time we were incarcerated and since we've been out, he has. And I mean, it's something I pray for, you know, because we're the only immediate family that we have. Um, our mom, dad, grandma, and sister all passed away while we were incarcerated. But I mean, it's one of those things where I'm trusting God and I, I know that he's going to work and he's going to uh, bring that deliverance. Um, I'd say really one of the main things about forgiving myself is I was in a behavior modification program at St. Clair Correctional Facility, which is a maximum security prison. And in this class, you know, we were, we had to read self-help books. We had to write, uh, reports about them. And so I began to read all these books about child sexual abuse. And it was there where I realized that most of the times people who have been sexually abused, they blame themselves. They feel like it was their reason, they caused the abuse, they did this, or they wore this, and that's why it happened. And then just that realization, I began to forgive myself. Um, dealing with the guilt, you know, it, it's, it was a process, you know, about just walking with God and, and just surrendering it, and I mean, I don't have that guilt now. That does not mean that I, I don't have that remorse or that I wish I couldn't, that I wish I could go back and change things. And that's what I wish every day. But everything that, I look at it this way, everything that's transpired in my life has made me who I am today. It has made me have the faith that I have now and the voice and the impact that I can have. I mean, when I, when I speak to people, there's multiple layers, you know, my life's an onion, and so I can impact somebody that has been sexually or physically abused. I can impact somebody that's been incarcerated. I can impact somebody that ha has dealt with a dysfunctional family. So that's definitely a, a blessing there, where I have these different layers that I can use to minister and to help people. I think um, one of the walls that we tend to put up, like Conrad was talking about, um, and David talks about this a lot in his work, is we tend to define people who have been convicted of some type of offense by that offense. And so we like to separate ourselves and say, oh, I'm not that. Um, and when you start to get into this work, um, particularly around um, sexual abuse and um, relational dysfunction is you see how messy all of us are. So many of the people who commit sexual offenses have been abused themselves. And it's an ongoing process. I mean, David has experienced tremendous healing, um, you know, from the second that um, he surrendered his heart. But, um, Winning the war in our mind is the daily battle, right? You know, we, we can be healed of things, um, but we still have to retrain our thoughts, capture them, make them obedient to Christ. Um, and that's a thing you have to do the rest of your life. Um, and so I think, you know, one of the things that um, I, I knew going into our relationship, and I have my own junk as well, 
Um, but I knew that I needed to be patient with that. And when you know, you're working with people um, in the community in some type of ministry format like this, um, you're gonna have to be patient with them um, and understand that we're all going through that same process um, and not everyone's, you know, healing journey is going to look the same as you think it might, um, you think it should look. Um, and it just, it, it really, um, teaches you the meaning of humility and our, our common need, um, for, for Jesus. So, yeah. Um, I'd say one of the main things is humanizing everyone. So um, Brian Stevenson, who's the founder of Equal Justice Initiative and wrote the book Just Mercy, where the movie is about, he has a quote that says, you're not as bad as the worst thing you've ever done. And so really having conversations about that, you know, letting people know that just because somebody had committed a murder does not mean that they are a murderer or somebody who has committed a sexual offense does not mean that they are a sex offender. So what that, what that means is, if I call somebody a sex offender, I'm saying that is who they intrinsically are, this is their DNA, they can never change. But if I'm saying somebody that either committed or were convicted of a sexual offense, I'm saying this person committed that act, but that act does not define them. And, and really that's one of the main things that I try to do as far as conversations because you get so many people that want to have this discussion about nonviolent offenders versus a violent offender. Now, there's so many people who know me and would never say that David Garlock is a violent offender. They'd be like, that's the last thing. Yeah, okay, he committed a murder, but that was 20 years ago. That's not who I am, that's not who he is now. And I mean, um, I had a situation where I was babysitting some um, friends from church and there was an altercation happened outside and I had to go out and give a statement to the police and everything. And when the couple comes back, I'm like, uh, there was an issue where there was some police came, you might get a call from them and you never know what they're gonna say because you had me babysitting and they'll probably say, why would you ever have somebody that committed murder watch your kid? But they don't view me that way, you know? They view me as this loving, caring, compassionate guy that loves kids. I mean, I, I've wanted kids my whole life. I, I've brought Jane into situations where we volunteered to babysit four kids at a time, and she's like, 
Why did we do that? Because I love kids, you know. But that's the thing, you know, it's about changing the labels, changing the way we view people. Because this is something I do in universities when I, I speak all the time. I have a question. I want everybody to raise your hand. You have to be honest. We are in church right now, okay? How many of you guys have ever stolen anything in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, now what if I came around? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. What if I said, hi, feet. Hi, feet. Hi, feet. Now, how, how does that make you feel? You, you don't want to be labeled by that single act that you might have done 15, 20, 30 years ago. This is the same thing with somebody who has a felony background. We don't want to be labeled by that single act. I mean, do we want God to continue to say that we're a sinner? We're, we're sinners saved by grace, but does God define us by sinner? No, he defines us by my people whom are called by my name. I think one of the things that's really powerful about um, David's story, and um, I'm so grateful that he's chosen to follow this call to share it, is that um, it's it gives people an opportunity to wrap their minds around the idea of forgiveness. Um, it's very hard to listen to David's story and and not um, not have your heart be a little more open to it, because as someone who has experienced um, sexual and physical abuse, um, who is now an advocate for people who have been convicted of um, sex offenses, it's it can be a hard concept for people to get their minds around, um, and it really opens their thinking to um, to how they view other people, how they view um, how they view this work, and um, what what does a healthy society truly look like. Um, and I think that that's, it's a really great opportunity um, that his story opens those doors, um, particularly for people um, who are totally new to the idea of forgiveness in, in Jesus. Um, and uh, and I've, I've seen it firsthand, you know, people, um, I think one of the things that uh, the, they did so beautifully with Just Mercy with the movie um, is it really allows you to experience um, people's stories, again, humanizing them. And one of Brian Stevenson's values is to get proximate. It's, it's very hard to keep those walls up when you get close to somebody and, um, and you get to know them and you hear their story um, because you will inevitably recognize similar elements in your own life um, and the commonalities um, that we share and that, you know, but for a different set of circumstances, I could have made the same decisions. I could have been in the same situation. So um, that sharing the, those values of getting proximate, of sharing people's stories, of not being afraid to, um, to, know, to know the messy and to be in a humble, equal relationship um, with someone, um, whether you know, in a professional setting or just in a community setting, um, is a really important value. Um, in David's work and um, definitely opens those doors.
Yeah, so, I mean, what she was asking is, what can people do to help those that are incarcerated or those who are being released not to be invisible? How many people know the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child? David Garlock's spin on that is, it takes a village to allow a returning citizen to be successful. So somebody that's coming out of prison, it takes that person's family, it takes the community, it takes employers, it takes support groups, it takes houses of worship to walk along, walk, be walk along the, the, the men and the women that are returning home. For so long, these individuals have never had anybody there. They've never had anybody encourage them. They've been, a, they've been discouraged. They've been told, you're a piece of trash. You're never going to amount to anything. You're going to keep going back to prison. This is who you are. But what happens when they have people that speak life into them? Whatever you think you can do, I believe in you. I know that you can achieve this goal. It changes their, their whole thought process. It, it changes the way they view themselves and they begin to, to change their thought process and they say, okay, I can achieve whatever I put my mind to. And that's really what it took for me. You know, I had the people believing in me. I had people speaking into me and that's what allowed me to succeed and, and to have such a, a, a life full of blessings the past seven and a half years. So really that's one of the main keys, you know, saying we're going to be a church, we're going to be a community that opens our arms to whoever comes. And I mean, knowing Conrad and having discussions, I know that this church is that way because of the amount of people that you have had here who have been incarcerated. So really, I'd say it's about speaking life into these individuals because it's something they've never had before. David referenced this a little bit, um, but one of the important things is um, if you're in a position to offer someone a job, to offer someone a place to live, um, to not deny them because they have to check the box, <laughs> um, those are really big things um, for those people. It's, it's, there's so many hurdles for people when they come out. And um, we want them to be productive, healthy members of society, but we don't let them have a job. We don't let them have a place to live. <laughs> so how, how exactly are they supposed to do that? Um, and one of the things that he did so well um, here in Lancaster County was um, building relationships with employers for their residents to be able to um, obtain jobs at companies that um, knew who they were, knew their background, um, and were um, willing to, to work with them um, and give them opportunities. So um, that's another practical way that people can help um, give the individuals, allow them to retain their dignity as human beings, allow them the opportunities to become healthy, productive members of society because ultimately that's, that's what we want. And I, I think it's, we, we have to take a really, it takes, it takes a lot of, um, again, humility, and awareness when we think about, you know, what, why are these doors closed to these in individuals? Um, you know, certainly, you know, there's, um, we know that we're not going to get rid of 
all of the hurdles and you know there may be certain situations that you don't want to put a particular person in that they might not be successful but but a lot of times we find that the hurdles that we've put in place are really more about our hearts being hard and about wanting to continue to punish about being fearful about wanting to separate ourselves and not really thinking about what's really going to be healthy and and best for for the community overall because that's what will happen when we allow these individuals the opportunities to succeed yes comrade I think one of the, I think the thing that the church is uniquely positioned to do that nobody else is, is that discipleship and that mentorship piece. Um, there are a lot of resources out there in the community for people to take advantage of, um, but they need that, that person, that support person who will help them navigate and connect all of those dots. Um, and in addition to the, you know, the spiritual guidance and the mentorship, um, the church can be the people who help them pull everything together. They can be the constant, they can be the encourager, um, and I think that that's really the unique role um, that we have to play in the, in the faith community. Um, it can be, you know, you don't have to you don't have to solve every problem for that person. <laughs> you don't have to find every opportunity. There are you know, resources that you can kind of cobble together um, in the community, but it can be very overwhelming for these individuals on their own. Um, and even, you know, I've seen this in, in our, you know, our lives. I was fortunate just in the way that I grew up. I, I understood how to navigate complex systems. I understood how to navigate bureaucracies. I knew not to give up just because I didn't have the right person on the phone. I knew who to ask for. Um, but if you're someone that doesn't have that experience, um, it can be very overwhelming for you to access even simple services. And so um, that uh, the discipleship um, and mentorship piece um, is really a unique offering that the church has um, that they're not probably gonna get anywhere else in the community. To go along with that too, Something that our church has done in the past was a series called My Backstory. And so what it would do is it would allow different men and women in our church to have like a three or five minute um, video where they share their backstory. And then there'd be a sermon around that, you know, about whatever that person experienced. I think it's important to allow everybody to share their testimony. Uh, if you go to an African-American church, at, at times, 
20, 25 minutes, they have a time where people can testify, where they can talk about what God's done, you know? That's something we have to get back to. We have to get back to listening to what people have been through, what their experience is, you know? Because just allowing me to come today and share my story, different people have been touched different ways, you know? You have different thoughts running through your mind, different ways you want to get involved. And the same thing happens with other people when they're able to share their, their, their stories, you know? And not every story is the same. There, there's different tribulations, different trials that God has delivered people from. And I think it's really powerful to have a place where people can feel comfortable to share their story. And then that allows them to come closer to the church, they feel more accepted because they don't have to walk into church with a mask on. They can take that mask off because they're like, okay, these folks know who I am. They know everything about my background. They know my past. That's why I feel so comfortable at the church we go to because everyone knows our background. They know our story and they accept us. They love us for who we are, not what we've done in the past. I mean, there, there's two things. I mean, one goes back to kind of what Jane was talking about, uh, one of Brian Stevenson's thought process about being proximate. Don't just say he's one of those people. Did anybody in the neighborhood go up and talk to him? Did anybody go up and find out what had happened? Because in Pennsylvania, if I go outside right now, and I urinate in public and there's a cop that comes up and arrests me, I ain't put on the registry for 15 years. So when you think about the sex offender registry as they call it, you have people who have urinated in public. You have people who have committed statutory rape. Sometimes you have people that are 19 and their girlfriend's 17 and the person's family says, I don't like this. They have to register for 15 to 25 years. So what is important there is just to have that conversation, just to have that dialogue, you know? And then another thing to realize is the statistics around people who have commit, committed or were convicted of a sexual offense. 15% of those people who have these offenses will go back to prison. But only 1.5 to 5.5% are people who commit another sexual offense. So 95% of the sexual offenses that are happening right now are people who have never been arrested or sent to prison before. 
So really what we need to do to combat sexual offenses, to combat um, child molestation, et cetera, is we need prevention, we need education. There's too much money being spent on a registry that isn't doing anything because those individuals aren't committing these new offenses. So it's really important for people to educate themselves, you know, to ask those questions. I mean, you can get my information from Conrad. I'd be more than willing to, to have the discussion and everything. But as Jane was saying, as far as the employers being willing to hire the guys we work with, that new person, they had that change of mind because I went in, I had conversations with them. I educated them, not from what society and fear-mongering wanted them to know, but what statistics, what case studies have actually shown. Uh, they were delightful, weren't they? Um, thank you. Thanks for being vulnerable, being honest, sharing your story, using what God has allowed you to go through what you've experienced for us and for so many others. We will stay in touch and we appreciate your being here uh, so much. Um, thank you. And thank you for your engagement. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the way you plugged in this morning and were flexible, but also the way you engaged, particularly with uh, a time with David and Jane. I think you see why my students enjoy having them in the classroom. Um, and connecting with them. There aren't a lot of others who would do this and uh, are so vulnerable and so open um, and do it from a, from a perspective of following Jesus as you both do. And we talk in this congregation about ministry out of your marriage, as I mentioned to you, and that's what you're doing. Um, you're so effectively modeling this ministry together out of who you are as God's people together in marriage. Next week, we will transition to the sanctuary. Um, and so again, we'll practice social distancing there. The board is asking to wear masks. We will go for a service. We'll begin at 9.30 to 10.30. We're starting a new series that Kate has developed called Jesus Revealed. And it is about the names of Jesus. There'll be a number of sharing and preaching, a number of testimonies throughout that time. Uh, Kate has done a terrific job of pulling this together. Um, Josh and Janelle are organizing some things for after that. So from 10.30 to 11 or so, We'll have adult uh, conversation um, that they're going to be leading or be directing, giving oversight to. Uh, and the children will be in the multi-purpose phase. Is that right, Josh? There will be something for the children going forward next week. And so uh, thank you for your patience this week as we continue to transition. Thanks for your patience through all of this and for the way you've worked together uh, in this. Uh, and thanks again, David and Jane. Let's, let's stand and pray together as we leave. God, we're aware that your word comes to us through the scripture. We're aware that your word comes to us through those who give testimony. And so we thank you this morning that we've been recipients of your word through David and Jane. Of you, the word who has lived in and lives in them. You, the word who continues to speak through them. You, the word who is at life in them and bringing life to others through them. God, I just pray your protection around their marriage. I pray your protection around their individual lives. I pray your protection around Guide Joshua. I pray your protection around their family and marriage from here on through uh, all of their lives together, through the protection around their ministry. I just thank you that their hope is in you, their life is in you. We bless them today for what you've called them to um, in this ministry together. 
and we thank you for um, the blessing of being with them today and of being with you and your people. And so we go forth now, Jesus, in your name. Help us to get proximate in those situations that you've called us to. Help us to remember that um, the lessons we've learned this morning. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in his peace.